Welcome to another episode of the Summit Chasers podcast. I am very excited this time around to have Amy Adler on the show. She's a professional resume writer and the host of the How I Hire podcast. Now, what I really loved about this episode is it shows the selecting process when you're hiring from both sides, the hiree and the hirer, and how to write effective resumes and how to take the guessing game out of spotting a top prospect when you're going through the thousands of resumes that you get. Also, her humble transition from working for a bigger company to branching it on her own and making her side project her main focus. Leave your takeaways in the comments below. I'll link her website and podcast down below as well so you can go check her out. But thanks again for tuning in, and I can't wait to see you on the next one. <laughs> Beautiful. Welcome to the podcast, Summit Chasers. I'm here with Amy Adler. Thank you so much for being on the show, Amy. How are you doing today? Hey, thanks for having me. So great to be here. Absolutely love the, the chance to have this conversation with you. Um, I love what you've done. I love the focus that you have. It's a very narrow focus. You are a master of what you do. Right. So let's um, let's just start out. Just tell everybody kind of what it is that you do and how did you get to where you are? Well, thank you for inviting the question again. Thanks for having me on the show. I am so truly glad our paths have crossed. Um, so let me answer the question. How did I get where I am? So I am a, a resume writer. I work mostly with executives helping them and people on their teams rise through their careers with the career marketing tools that they need to, to make that happen. So resume writing, LinkedIn profile development, cover letters, bio, sort of all of the stuff that I call a career portfolio, everything that would go into something you could print out and hand over to a hiring team to convince them that you are indeed the right person for them to pick up and, and have join their teams. So I've been doing this for about 14 and a half years. Um, and it's about half of um, a lifelong career in editorial, um, in editing and writing one way or another. So I didn't start, as most people don't, I don't think, start as a resume writer. No one uh, asks a third grader, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they say, I want to be a resume writer. Um, so um, my original career then was in was in book publishing, uh, mostly academic upper division books. Uh, back when there were red pencils, I was the one wielding a red pencil um, and doing layout and um, sort of hands-on editing work and that kind of a thing. Uh, basically anything from uh, manuscript through printing was, was in my oversight. And I did that for a long time and then um, earned an MBA and stayed in editorial, worked in um, medical publishing, which I had had some experience in prior as well. So it was just a, a transition to digital at that point um, and kept going. Um, got into resume writing specifically, uh, like I said, um, as most people do by accident. So I had a great friend who was a fabulous salesperson um, and wanted some help doing some writing. And I had not really done much in the way of resume writing, except perhaps for my own along the way. And she said, hey, Amy, can you give me a hand? So we wrote a resume and she applied for this job and she got this job. And all of a sudden I was thinking, wow, this is a new way to apply sort of the um, the nexus of business and, and editorial. And it just kept going. Um, and I, like I said, I've been doing this for um, almost 15 years now, um, have earned master level resume writing certification, have won some awards along the way, have done some mentorship um, and have built up um, quite a practice that I'm very, very proud of. And I have the privilege of working with some of the most amazing people. Um, it's incredible to be a student of theirs to tell their stories and to be 
um, their guide as they go through something that is challenging. People don't go through job search every day. I get to experience this on all sides literally every day of the week. So that is that is how I got here. Good for you. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's tough to do when you're already like sometimes we put ourselves in a box like the comfort box right you're already doing very well with something before and you're like hey i could be really good at this thing and i love the rewards the emotional rewards right the purpose of it right i love it so much more but it's a, that was a, probably a risk going from something and then going into you know starting your own business uh something that's very niche very very specific so what, what was that like having making that transition from what you're doing before the editorial stuff to something as specific as resume writing so i appreciate the question um but it wasn't as much of a transition honestly as it sounds because nice. so many people who um, at that time were in book publishing were also doing freelance work on the side so freelance editorial work of one type or another so i had a lot of experience working with clients that were not sort of part of my day-to-day -day job um, the real transition, the hard part of the transition was now I had to um, seek new clients all the time. Um, mm -hmm. And insofar as I wasn't working for a company, and I did have a break in there um, sort of along the way because I was a, a new mom and I'm glad to have taken that time. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I was getting back into it, I had to now own all kinds of client relationships. Um, and I'm sure as your um, audience would relate to that is a super challenging aspect of running any business is making sure that pipeline is full. Um, and I, I often joke that insofar as I work for myself, and I love that, I love the flexibility and the freedom and the owning all the wins and, and owning all the, the trials. I feel like at any given time, I have a dozen bosses. Um, and my goal is to make sure that every single one of them believes they're the only one and to give them that white glove service that they deserve. Um, so the transition from freelance to a different kind of freelance under the aegis of sort of a company um, wasn't as dramatic as the uh, the notion that now the buck stopped here. 100%, there was no nobody else to appeal to, no higher authority, and whatever happened was on my watch. And I had to mm -hmm. own all of, all of the good stuff and some of the things that were harder. 100%. Well, that's, that's still, I don't know if you're giving yourself enough credit. Because having to go from, because like you said, you, the business, right? When you work for somebody else, right? Especially if you're in sales, we're, we're talking about client acquisition. So if you're in sales, you're either in the marketing side of things where you're just in charge of filling up the front end of a pipeline, right? The top of a funnel. And then if you're in sales, your job is to take those prospects and those leads and then move them to the next step. And then you have a customer service department that goes from, okay, they go from here to here. And then you have but it depends on what it is, a product or a service, whatever it is. And then you might have different upsells and all this kind of stuff at the back end, but we don't need to get into that uh, specifically. But you go from being in charge of one part of the funnel to the entire funnel. And that's that, that's tough to do. So I don't know. Again, I don't know your whole story, but I'm saying you might not be giving yourself enough credit and how difficult that can be, right? You, you, end up, you go from, again, owning a small portion of the success of a sale or the success of a fulfillment on a product or service to the entire thing and like you said you and this is one of the most important things you a lot of new business owners they're so focused on getting new acquisitions and when they're not focused on taking care of and improving their service or product until the front end almost takes care of itself because they're getting referrals they're getting good reviews they're getting like people are just seeing the success and then coming back in right 
So what was that like for you? Now that I gave you a bunch of credit, <laughs> which you deserve. Um, what was that like for you going from, again, you might not have had to do, again, you're doing it on the side, but there wasn't the urgency or as much urgency going from doing it on the side to, okay, now I have to fulfill and I have to sell and I have to market and I have to manage. Well, I appreciate your your um, extending that level of credit to me. Um, and you're right. I probably should own a little bit more than that than I do. Um, but the thing that always struck me and kind of guided me is the um, the principle of, of whether you're working in the business or on the business. Um, and as an independent practitioner, um, sort of formalized freelancer, if you will, um, that is the biggest struggle is um, making sure that every client feels like they have that level of white glove service and making sure that pipeline continues to have somebody in it. Um, at the beginning, and, and honestly, it directly led to where I am now, the way that I, I thought about all that stuff. So I tried all sorts of stuff and um, none of, not all of which was was completely successful in the beginning. But one of the things that I think most people do when they start out in this business, especially, is that they take all comers. And I was writing resumes for high school students and um, as middle managers and accountants. And I wrote up for a pipe, a plumber, and <laughs> I, I don't know you name it. Um, but it wasn't the kind of thing that satisfied my soul. Um, I mean, as much as I love working with young kids and I would never, um, I would never turn away a young kid if, if they came to me. Um, but it, the, the sort of middle early career stuff wasn't getting to the things that I really liked about working with senior level people. So I started to, um, narrow in on that as much as I could. And try to win over as many of those types of clients as I possibly could. So I was intentionally leaving some stuff on the table. And I think any any business owner has to know kind of where their zone of genius is and, and be okay with, with that. Job seekers too, that's a whole different story. Mm -hmm. But it's all the same thing. Um, I, I can do any of these things. I want to do this thing. And then I had this watershed moment in 2012 in which I won, <laughs> I kid you not, um, First place for best executive resume in the Tory Awards. That's the toast of the resume industry awards. They happen every year through Career Directors International. And it's I swear it's like winning an Oscar in the industry. Um, so much notoriety or fame, or I don't know, something, um, and something to promote. And my business changed overnight. And all the things that I had been hoping for started to take place. And then I won another award a couple of years later. Anyway, so. I haven't won in a while, just in case anybody's wondering. I haven't won because I, I serve as a judge now and they don't let you enter. But this moment um, in 2012, 2013 um, became kind of the pivot point for me where I got to say, this is what I want and this is where I fit and this is my messaging and this is what I'm really good at. And this is this is what challenges me and um, makes me feel like I belong here. So filling that pipeline started to become a whole lot easier to your original point because my messaging got much more clear. Um, and as much as I was hungry to bring in projects and, and, you know, make a positive cash flow, there's, there's no doubt that was part of it. I wanted to do it in a way that made sense for me. And I had really good luck, um, a lot of editorial experience to back me up, um, but a lot of good luck, uh, people referred and, and that pipeline started to manage itself in a lot of ways, not entirely, it's not like it's magic, um, but I started to become really grateful for the fact that I wasn't terrified every day 
that I wasn't going to make my numbers for the month. Um, and that was, that was a huge, huge transformation for me. Um, I mean, I think I still worry as everybody does what's going to happen next. And I know the seasonality of the business and I know how that works. So I know when to be worried and when not to be worried. Uh, but I'm not overall panicked in the way that I was in the very beginning when I didn't know how things were going to go because I had no perspective on the way this was going to work and where I should be applying my skills and to whom I should be speaking. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's, and that's really hard to do, especially when you're starting out, you have this, like this scarcity mindset, like, Oh, if I don't take everybody, it might shut off tomorrow. Right. And, and that's, you're just surviving at that point, right? That's just survival. So you, I don't know if you did it on purpose, but are, are you, let me ask, are you a Jim Collins fan? Um, you mean the good to grade and yeah. those kinds of things as far as that goes? Sure. Okay. Um, Cause you, what you more, did, there, so you, what, what you did, I don't know, again, I don't know if you did it on purpose. That's why I asked if you're a Jim Collins fan. So there's a concept, it's actually a Greek concept, but it's the, the headshot concept, right? And it's, it's three inner intertwining circles. And it's kind of the, it's the lanes that companies or that business owners, founders, visionaries kind of stay within in the, the three circles. One of them is what can you be the best in the world at? What are you most passionate about? And then what drives your economic engine? And so you, you encompass those, two of those very, very well. And even, even, even what drives your economic engine as well. What are you most passionate about? I'm most passionate about helping upper level management, right? Senior, senior executives, um, growing people through the ranks, right? That's what I'm most passionate about, right? And then the other one is, what can I be the best in the world at? Well, this, you you seemed like you had some confidence that you could be the best in the world at it, considering that you just was like, okay, this is what I'm doing full-time now, right? So you, you knew what you could be the best in the world at, and you knew what you were most passionate about, right? And then you knew it was going to drive your economic engine, right? Because you knew that, okay, if I got really good at this, I would get the notoriety, which would then fill my pipeline, right? And then you can keep doing that. So if I just do really, really good work, instead of the volume and get more, let's say, uh, again, what drives your economic engine could be something like acquisition cost per referral or for referrals, right? So if you're doing a really good job and you're fulfilling really great and you're winning these awards and you have a podcast out, how I hire, I'm plugging it for you. Um, <laughs> and, and and you do those things, that's what's going to drive your economic engine, right? So you're focusing on those value added things that drives high level people at the top of your funnel. So I don't know if you did it on purpose, but you did it. And I think that's a great lesson for, I mean, even if you're not a new founder, but for any small and medium sized business owner is abide. if you abide by those things, it might seem scary, but in the long run, it pays off. Right. So I think that is so cool that you, that you did that. That's because it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to do. Um, and a lot of people have been there where they say yes to everybody, everybody, then they're overwhelmed and then they, then they're stuck in the business and then another parts of it, kind of fall off and then it's it's tough it's tough to keep that up it's tough to keep that up when you're kind of when you're when you're stuck in it like that so now you're this badass you're winning awards like you said you haven't in a while but the only reason you haven't is because you're judging you can't even submit so so what as of right now what prompted you we'll talk about the podcast for one minute what, what prompted you to, to start the podcast because it's fairly new right so it's actually the second of two uh, of Oh. The podcast, so it it kind of grew out of the first one, which is the Job Search Podcast, um, which is kind of plodding along. Um, and people are welcome, obviously, to listen to that. They're sort of bite-sized um, thoughts and strategies. Um, you know, roughly six to eight minutes a piece. So 
very digestible. Um, and that became a book that became um, a courageous career change. Um, and that is available on Amazon. So people can, can check that out. So I had started um, pre COVID um, a couple of interviews for how I hire uh, because hiring to anybody who isn't doing it feels like a black box, even to me. And I work with job seekers every single day. Um, and as much training as I have engaged in, and as much as I try to stay on top of what's going on in the industry and work with the professional societies and all that stuff, I'm still not a hiring manager myself. Mm. So I thought the best way to find out how people do things is to ask them. Um, and people have been very forthcoming. Um, and I re-engaged um, recently with that podcast. Uh, so there's a handful of episodes up now. Um, because I still think this is an important um, window into the way people who are doing this every day on the hiring side, the way they think. Um, I mean, I hope eventually I have enough content for a book. I, I don't know what will happen, but it that would be fun. Um, but I want people to... Um, to get the from the horse's mouth, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and and not everybody's going to do it the same way. Not every hiring team is going to have the same priorities or the same perspective, and everything happens at a given time in a certain way in their organizations. Um, but maybe across multiple people and across multiple insights, job seekers will have a different way of thinking about what gets them from the moment where they are deciding to engage in a job search for whatever whatever that impetus is, whether that's mm-hmm. um, sort of the mad panic that we're kind of experiencing in tech right now, or they've just decided to do something different or whatever it is, getting from there to the point where they are experiencing the kinds of offers, taking the kinds of offers that, that make sense to them and that feed their soul and that are in their zone of genius. So that is that is how that launched. I love that. Some of the best podcasts, I mean, the top podcast in the world is the top podcast in the world because he just brings people on that he's genuinely just wants to talk to and is curious about and wants to learn. He wants to learn what they're experts in. And that's where, and if you, I think that's a big thing. I mean, if we're quickly talking about marketing is, is being genuine, right? Like if you try to fake it, right. And you're, you're bring people on who you're not interested in, you're just chat GPTing some questions, right. It just doesn't, but if you're genuinely curious, the conversation and the content is so much, so much more genuine, it's real. People can relate to it so much more and you, you get, you get more out of it than just the words that are being said. You get the stories, you get the relationships. It's so I, I love that. I love that. That is the reason that you started the podcast. That is very cool. I'm giving you all these props and you're, you're, you're it's tough for you to take them. <laughs> you're doing you're, you're, you're hard on, you're, you're hard on yourself, but that's probably why, why you are where you are. You know, it's a good thing. Um, so I, have a, I want to ask this in, in two different from two different sides of the coin because one uh, one big thing that, that we focus on is increasing talent density from you know both both sides, right? So we want we want companies to understand that the, first of all the most the biggest indicator of your success is do you have the right people on your team? Right, it starts with people, and a lot of that is hiring and developing from within. So from you, so let let's talk about from the hirer perspective. What are some of the top two or three, you can, you can name as many as you want. What are some of the top mistakes that employers make when they're looking at a resume and they're choosing, okay, who goes on to the next step? So thank you. And and I can't speak for every hiring team because again, you know, we have this window that's sort of limited. Uh, but what I 
what I feel like um, hiring teams should know when they look at a resume itself, the document, is kind of two things. One is beautiful design is distracting. I love beautiful design. I love it. And even I find it hard to ignore it in favor of the content. Um, and it's not that a resume shouldn't look beautiful and it shouldn't be visually appealing, but it, to get past that is crucial. And mm -hmm. to then dig into not only what the person is skilled at, but the way they engage their skills. So the first part is, is sort of my own bias, I guess, but this part is, is crucial for anybody doing any kind of hiring, even if they're, the resumes they're looking at are black and white Times New Roman, um, one inch margins looking like kind of high school essay or whatever, content, content is gonna be king. And figuring out what their skills, their abilities and their knowledge and their wisdom are based on the way they describe the things they know how to do has to align with what they want out of that kind of a candidate. So if somebody says, I know how to do this, I know how to do gap accounting, I know how to improve operations, I know how to, whatever it is, uh, create an HR department or whatever it is, um, they should be able to say that in context. And that context should be magnetizing. So this is the, the crux of good resume writing. And I hope what appeals to people who are doing the hiring, because we're trying to get to that emotional level that not only is this person saying they can do something, they're showing you that they have done it. And that if that translates to what you need, then you know you're talking to the right person. So by the time you get somebody into an interview, it's not a question, do, do I think they can do this job? Mm. Because they've proven they can do x percent or they've meet, met you know z percent of the the must-have requirements or like nice to have or whatever it is so that's not it's not casting about anymore it's refining and describing um or sorry evaluating for culture at that stage that's what we hope is happening as resume writers that that's what we're banking on mm -hmm. um because we want our clients to showcase exactly how amazing they are um and again, this is this is the best part of what I get to do is I get to talk to these incredible people all the time. Mm -hmm. And I get the privilege of, of translating what they've done. So these hiring teams feel it. Um, mm -hmm. Well, they know it. They, they have the intellectual sort of knowledge transfer, but they also have this gut punch that says, ah, this is the right person. They, they, they get my pain. They mm -hmm. understand where I'm coming from. Um, and that means they should be looking for somebody, somebody's resume, um, who is only after the thing they want to hire for. Um, so somebody who says, I'm an accountant and I bake bread. I mean, I, I think I mentioned to you in one of our emails, I love to make bake bread. Um, mm -hmm. But that's not super relevant to anything um, in the context of, of accounting, really. Um, so somebody who says, I'm a jack of all trades. Um, I've heard the term utility player. Those are true and they're, it's not a bad thing to be that broadly skilled and that broadly capable, but that's not why somebody would be hired uh, at maybe a middle sort of to, to senior manager level, maybe at the COO level. I mean, if anybody can define within, you know, 
highly specific parameters exactly what a COO is in every company, they will they'll win some kind of award because that that job is so broad and so diverse that maybe the utility player belongs there for other reasons. But somebody who says, hey, I can do anything, figure out what to do with me is probably not going to be your best um, best case for evaluation of, of whether someone belongs there. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. Absolutely great advice. And on the other side of that, what would make kind of those two concepts kind of marry together? And I love what you said about like, it should speak to them. It should speak to why they're being hired. It should speak to the initiatives they're trying to accomplish. But in order to even find people like that, the employer who's looking to hire somebody, they need to have that defined. And I think that's where some of these people might slip through the cracks. Like why you're not getting A players is because you don't have it. You have the role like what they're going to do in a day-to-day, right? Maybe sort of defined, but not like what's the initiative? What do they need these people to accomplish? And then you get somebody who can who can convince them or show them that they have the skills, they have done this before and tell the story that speaks to that employer's, employer's pain. Like you're like, that's almost like the perfect marriage, but it's hard to find those people if you don't define what that is as an employer. Like we, again, we can define if you're hiring a sales manager, I need somebody to come in and look over, look after my sales team. It's like, okay, great. There's a lot of people that can do that, but what do you need this person to accomplish? Do you need to penetrate new markets? Do you need to build and hire a team? So then when you're looking at these resumes and you have somebody like yourself who created these resumes, is the story solving that pain that you have and solving that initiative that you're trying to accomplish? Right. So that, that's, that was beautiful. So what, when you, when you're working with these these kind of bigger executives, what are some big issues that you have seen these founders have when they're trying to hire for ex- like upper management, upper leadership, right? What's kind of the big some of the big issues that you've that you've seen that they they have? I appreciate the question, um, and it's a complex one. Um, so founders. Um, could be, well, let's call them product people, whether the product is actually a technical product or a physical product or a philosophical like a service, whatever it is. Um, there's a, a founder's mindset, right? That is, I invented this thing. I built this thing, I, whatever. Um, and they own that and they should, and they're amazing and talented and, and technically excellent. They might not be the best people to grow the business. Um, so the challenge I have seen a couple of times, and certainly not from the founders, because I don't know if they would necessarily think this, um, but I've seen some really amazing cases in which they hire people who know different skill sets or different different areas of expertise than they do. And then there's this incredible balance between somebody who has the, the knowledge of the 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 thing being offered to the to the whatever the markets are. Um, so again, let's call it a product for for lack of a better term. And then somebody who knows how to make that shine. Um, somebody who can bring broader business expertise that the founder might not have, um, might want to have, and and might be willing to learn, but kind of didn't come up that way. Um, so then they have the the founder has this challenge of who do I bring in that is going to complement my skill set, make me look better, make our teams look better, make our stuff work more smoothly, make us more money, cut our costs. Um, that's a big ask of any single individual. Um, 
you know, it's that work in the business or on the business and, and not everybody, I, I appreciate that you said I, I had some sort of insight into it. Um, I, I think it's a lot of trial and error and maybe people don't want to wait too long um, to discover what their successes and trials might be. And, and to bring in the right person can solve so many of those questions easily, faster, more efficiently. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to see that become more of a thing. Um, and then founders become um, sort of technical advisors and um, even if they forget about ownership of the company, but but be willing to be influenced and have mm-hmm. that um, compatibility and that willingness to to step aside from things they are they don't have expertise in and bring in people who are amazing because there's so much talent out there. You know, this is an aside. Um, I often get asked when people call me and inquire, you know, what what can you do? Do you think that the the market, whatever it is, I mean, pre-COVID, during COVID, post-COVID, do you think the market is hiring? Uh, and we all know of stories that are happening now in which companies are engaging in mass layoffs and that's horrible and, and breaks my heart. Um, but I really, really think there is always a place for really talented people. Mm-hmm. Um, and to to promote them in a way that they should be marketed is a blessing because they don't write resumes every day. Why should they? Uh, but they do this amazing stuff and they can be part of a founder's vision if they can get in there and if they can they can message that properly. So um, I always think there's opportunity and I do have kind of a an expansive blue ocean mindset. Like there's so much, there's so much opportunity. And I'm I'm grateful for it. And I think any resume writer I've ever talked to has not felt competitive necessarily with other resume writers because there's so many great people out there seeking that kind of of opportunity for themselves. And we're just like, how do we how do we keep feeding the machine? Because because we can, and and everybody feels very cooperative um, in the industry to do that. So there, there's two messages in there. I'm gonna highlight one right now is that everybody should if you have a business right everybody should be just as passionate about their business as you are about what you like it was clear how passionate you are like you have a mission and a vision right of what you want to accomplish and who you want to help and how you can help them so i just wanted to to bring that up if whether you're listening or watching like you can tell that there's passion here and if you have that passion and and you have a mission, something that you you feel like you can accomplish, even if it's not you're not going to accomplish it in your lifetime, but you still strive towards it. Like you're going to be successful, you're going to be successful one way or the other. Um, and I think the other one, the other issue, or I want to say issue, well, it's a bit of an issue, but topic is founder ego, right? Like you said, they they created this thing; it's theirs, they own it, which they do technically, they do own it, but that that kind of like they hold it close to their chest, like nobody knows it as good as me. I'm the only one that can take it to where we want to take it. But understanding that you have strengths and weaknesses, there's things that you don't know as much about as somebody else, right? You have the opportunity to bring people in who have either done it before, have been to been part of a company at least that is similar to where you want to go, right? Or has expertise in a field that you just don't. Right? And you get a lot of again, a lot of the founders that we we work with that are probably listening. They have very specific skills. So whether they were in sales in another company or they were fulfilling, whether they were the ones putting in the windows, deciding, or they were on creating the products or fulfilling on the service, they're like, hey, I can do this. 
and then they, they start a business and they're very good at one part of it. That's what feeds it for a while. But then all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, I need to run a big sales team, but I've never had to do that before. Right. But I know enough now to get it to where it is, but in order to get to where I need to go and put my ego aside and bring somebody in who can be that master. And I think that's one, one of the, one of the things that you know, some of a lot of our clients struggle with anyways, is they get when they're founders from a smaller company, the jack of all trade people are very appealing because they can do everything because you need people in who can, okay, you're going to sell today, but then I also need you to fix our computers <laughs> or whatever, right? You, you need that. That's super valuable. Then when you get to a certain size, that's not as, it's almost a detriment because then you get a lot of people who are okay at a lot of things, but you don't have somebody who can take your marketing and, you know, put it to, sorry, blast your message out to a lot of people, understand how to use AI, understand how to use all these platforms, understand the tactics, and you, you don't have somebody who can focus on that and to have somebody who's a master at that and bring them in. I mean, that's huge. And then you get masters of all these departments. So I think that that's a huge point. Am I on the right track? You sure are. You sure. Are. Um, yeah, and being okay with not knowing something, you know, it's hard to admit that we're okay at something, mm -hmm. but not great. Yeah. Um, and it's okay to claim the thing that you are really, really good at and, and push that as hard as it can go. 100%. And if you're not focusing on all these things that you're not as good at, because that's usually if you're not as good at them, they're more of a detriment to your company. Therefore, you're focusing more on those. And then the thing that you're really good at that you could really, really push the company to further success in, you're not focusing on that as much because you're putting out all these other fires, right? So a little, little bit of a shift. I want to get hired. I'm an executive, right? What's the first thing I should do when I'm pen to paper, well, typing, <laughs> typing out a resume? What is what is kind of a good a good starting point to build a great, attractive resume? It's the I think the answer might surprise you. It's not writing a resume at all to start. The first thing anybody must do before they put a pen to paper is figure out what they want. So just in the way that we were just talking about hiring execs need to know what they want out of somebody. A job seeker, especially at the exec level, needs to be able to say, this is who I am and what I stand for. And my branding is based on all the things I've done and looks forward to what I think the market that I'm appealing to would demand of me. So exploring that market very, very deeply and taking the time to understand the needs, the goals, the hopes, dreams, expectations, whatever they are of that subset of the market, whoever they are, whatever you've decided, knowing that is tying your history to your, to the, the future, your future and that of the organizations you're appealing to. And so your resume therefore stands in the middle. It is a reflection of both, but where you are today. So the resume that somebody wrote 10 years ago and they're just adding to is good to have. It's a good record. Mm -hmm. It's not really a resume anymore. It's um, an historical accounting maybe uh, because it only goes backwards. So how does somebody understand what their zone of genius is, what's important to them and reflect that in the resume looking forward? So that's actually thing number one. So it's not resume writing at all. And that's a hard thing to swallow when somebody has been laid off or somebody's experiencing a, a, a point of flexion or whatever it is, they want to do something. <laughs> they want to do something and come out with an outcome, meaning a piece of paper with all of their stuff on it. Um, 
but that is not the first step. The first step is, it's, it's kind of the 80-20 rule, right? So spend 80% of your time strategizing and 20% of your time executing. You're going to be a lot happier and you're going to get off the hamster wheel that job search so often can be. Uh, but that 80% will solidify your messaging, your branding, your position, your expertise in a way that only spending 20% of your time doing that would never do. And then, and then you're not rewriting your resume for every job. You're yeah. saying, I'm doing this one thing and out of my way because I got one thing and, and I'm going to do my one thing. I love that. I think it's so important for, I mean, whether you're a founder or you're, you're the one hiring to understand both sides because then you can, you can see, okay, who truly understands who really is going to be a fit, right? Who can, who can push these initiatives that, that we need? I think that's so important. I love that advice. Is a lot of it is it's usually never like you said it's so surprise some people surprise me, right? Because I would have been like, okay, your header needs to be this. It's like no, you need to first of all understand where your who understand your your strengths and kind of like and I, I kind of like the way you put it where it's like you're marketing yourself, and you're telling a story, and that's what it is. And marketing, you're trying to get the right people into your pipeline. If you're hiring, you're trying to get the right people into your pipeline. So why would you not think of it as I'm marketing myself? Your attributes, what, what you can accomplish. So that's, I love that. So in, in kind of wrapping up here, I got a question that we ask everybody, Amy, what is the next summit that you are chasing? As we alluded to before, the next summit I am chasing, and I thank you for the question, is the How I Hire podcast. Um, I am happily filling my monthly slots. Uh, I definitely want more. I definitely want more people. Um, I want diverse industries, um, senior level execs, recruiters, talent acquisition people. Um, the most recent podcast was of a, with a salary a compensation coach. Listen to that, folks, if you want to see both sides of it. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, I want to get inside people's heads um, and not just talk about what we from resume writing and and I won't even say from the recruiting side, but from the resume writing side, we are making some really, really um, educated, highly educated um, guesses. Um, I won't put it on the level of speculation. We have a really good understanding of what works, but I want to know. I want to hear it from the people who are doing the work. What do you folks want? So, um, looking for for ways to beef that up and get more people, diverse opinions, um, thoughts, and perspectives on how people hire. I love it. Absolutely love it. I think that that's, that's huge. Absolutely huge. Cause like you said, a lot of companies, they, they need to value bringing in a players, they need to value the talent density. So they need to get very good at hiring. And then those talented people out there, they need to know how to get in, into these doors, they need to, even how to open the doors. Cause there's so many talented people out there that are extremely good at what they do but they're not as good at marketing themselves. Like you said, they're not as, they're not as good at showing people. Right. And with a lot of these, again, there, there are some mass layoffs that are letting go a lot of these people. So this is our opportunity to get those people into the right seats. Right? so I absolutely, absolutely love that. All right. Take 30 seconds to a minute, push whatever you want. What's going on next? Where, where do you want people to go? Where can they find you? So everybody can find me at fivestrengths.com. That's F-I-V-E-S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-S.com. Um, I, again, 
I'm a resume writer by trade. I work primarily with executives, but I've worked with students as young as high school because they deserve it. Um, if you um, are out there thinking about hiring or job search, uh, your own or someone else's, and you want to throw some ideas past me, I'm always around. So I'm very findable and I love talking about what I do every day. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Amy. It was an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to be on yours. <laughs> the pleasure is mine. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you for watching this episode of the Summit Chasers podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed, you were inspired, you learned something that you can use to go and chase whatever your next summit may be. Be sure to like and comment your takeaways from the episode below. Also, follow us on all social media platforms under Summit Chasers Network. And if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to turn on your notifications so you can be notified when we drop new content like how-to videos, business best practices, motivation, and personal development strategies. And until next time, keep chasing your summit. I'll see you on the next one.